0: Greetings dysfunctionals. Once again, it is I, Dr. Ernesto. And not Dr. Alex. And today we are here with Berte Reyes. Yo. Berthe is a PhD candidate at the University of Arizona in the Rhetoric, Composition, and Teaching of English program. They are also a Michigan native straight out of Boogie Down Detroit, a former organizer with the American Federation of Teachers. Berthe is deeply enmeshed in a study of hate rhetoric, currently they are examining hate rhetoric in video game communities all right let's get down to it verte what's up what is hate fucking christ
1: so <laughs> that's actually that, that's the big question that's the big problem is that hate has such a slippery definition and applies in certain places that's hard to answer that like we use hate to describe groups and crimes and whatnot anything rooted in this sort of identity-based discrimination but it's interesting when we think about the word hate as well as being a, this emotion, this affective response we have to something that's just constantly destructive because that oppression comes from so many different places. There's like this weird slippage, like, okay, well, if you hate whatever group of people, obviously you feel this vile way about it all at all times. When that oppression comes from so many different places, it can come from a sense of duty among like, white nationalists or a sense of joy when you see these uh, folks like incels online trolling, you know, Folks, uh, this whole I'm comment about like liberal tears or whatever, there's a sense of pride in making someone hurt. And so it's much It's just interesting um, to think about what is hate when you think about how many different ways we apply it. Cause hate's also not oppression either. You know, oppression is like an opera, oper, operationalization. There's the word I'm looking for. It's a way of um, doing this certain oppressive thing. It's a way of enforcing this hierarchy, you know. I realize I'm going all over the place, but that's sort of the issues like well, what is hate? Hates a lot of things and we can kind of narrow it down. Okay, if we need to talk about discrimination, we talk about discrimination. There's this vile sort of emotion we have towards things that we can talk about flippantly, like, I hate peas and I hate these people over here, you know. It's just such a weird word, right? Um
0: Yeah, I feel that way about the word peace.
1: Yeah, yeah, you threw you threw a real you threw the hard question at me early. So, what is hate? On some level what I want to say is it's not just violence, it's about reinforcing the irrational hierarchy in a way that's not just about tying to the material benefits of oppression but also tapping into this primal like feeling people have about other folks. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, makes um, sense to
1: me. Hate is Huge hate is it's a lot of things. I, I did my typical academic answer of throwing a bunch of words at you, but does it generally
0: make sense? I don't know. You, does it make sense to you, Alex? It made sense to me.
1: Yeah. Uh,
2: do you think that? I mean, can hegemony exist without hate, or is it something that's uh, exclusive to very emotionally driven things, duty sense things like white nationalism, fascism? I, is there a way to get rid of uh, hate to keep
1: society going? I don't know. See, one of the questions I started thinking about is, um, is hate just something that's a part of language? Is just something we do. When we look at a hate group like white nationalism, when we look at incels, for instance, are they just sort of like the terrifying logical conclusion of something that everyone does all the time anyway? So your question about can hegemony exist without hate? I mean, that again gets to us like thinking about, well, what is hate really? Like if we're thinking about hate as being this means of reinforcing those irrational hierarchies, then no, it really can't. If we're thinking about hate as just this sort of like natural thing people sort of just do, maybe it can. You see what I mean? Yeah. I, one of the, I just go I'll double back for a second to clear up a little bit. One of the big questions I threw in my head is that um, I get annoyed with this phrasing like love trumps hate or this approach of a dichotomy between like love and hate, you know? This is what um, democracy gets you. Exactly. Like I get really annoyed with that sometimes because there seems to be like this shaming of a, just a natural like an emotion of a thing people have. You know, if we think of hate as being one of the emotions, when people tell you, oh, you have to love your oppressor, why? Like, why do I have to love the person who's boots on my neck? They're relying on me loving them so they can just continue hurting me. When we think about hate in that kind of like, if you're saying stop hating in the sense of stop oppressing, well, yeah, cool, down for it. But that's why that slippage between the emotion and the oppression is so nasty and so weird to look at. you tell me how to feel about something there's a major problem there and if hating is just something that's part like a feeling is just a part of like what we do how do we deal with that in society how do we deal with that in terms of making actual justice you know how do we start dismantling things like hegemony and the irrational hierarchy and whatnot um if this is just part of who we are does that make sense
0: it totally makes sense i think um i'm gonna i'm gonna
1: ask that a lot just because like in teaching style i'm so used to like doing my like oh crap I ranted for like how long do these undergrads know what the hell time like, does that make sense y'all <laughs>
0: it does it does make sense oh, yeah. I want to remind you that we're not undergrads but... I know no, no, no. <laughs> I just I just get self-conscious I'm really because, smart like, people <laughs> I, get, <laughs> this... I get self-conscious like asking like does that make sense like I'm, I'm sorry I'm like am I just ranting but yeah you know. no it, it totally makes sense and and I can also say man just to you know give you a little bit of support and comfort in this conversation uh, i remember what it was like going through my dissertation period yeah i am so and that statement does that make sense uh, sounds like trauma occurs a lot <laughs> trauma. Is,
2: it's, it's yeah like like it sounds like they, they they had me go into one of these uh organizer trainings uh this weekend and it's called an agitational thing it sounds like they're yeah. just trying to reinforce trauma and uh, it kind of sounds like that's what a PhD is. So I'm, uh, I guess another question is, uh, is that what social justice is about? Is just like putting more
0: traumatic events on yourself? Well, you know, I don't think getting a PhD has anything to do with social justice, but <laughs> okay. actually it would be the opposite of that. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, in, terms
1: of, in terms of reinforcing trauma, like are we ever not doing that when you consider talking about the status of the world we're in? Oh like how much of what we do as trying to dismantle some of these horrific things requires that we dig into something that's been kind of you know difficult
0: yeah yeah damn we could stop the podcast right there (laughs) that's good y'all learned something for today so you can take that and think about that for a second
1: this idea well i'm sorry go ahead no no i was gonna say that's my trip was like trying to investigate hate too and ask like how much of it is just a thing we do and so how do we mitigate it like people use the word hate to refer to a lot of different things. And it's horrifying when it refers to people based on their identity, based on just the existence of who they are. And it's cool when it's just like, yeah, I hate this really innocuous thing. Like, I hate that joke. I hate this chair whatever, whatever. And And like, as a rhetorician, it's just weird to me that the word, like it might seem like just semantic play in one level, but when you think about how important words are, it's interesting how we slip on that one word, but use it for so many things that range from this. So it's just wondering like, okay if this is something we just do how do we just learn to mitigate that part of ourselves when it comes to looking at systems of hierarchy justice oppression whatnot you know how do we learn to be better people when we have this thing that we just do but also forgive ourselves for like okay i I hate this chair i can hate i'm allowed to not like things you know i'm allowed to not like the neo-nazi who's got a boot on my neck but if I've got that same sense towards this marginalized group over here, I really need to look into that. Like, how do we learn a little more about like being more nuanced with how we feel?
0: This whole idea of love trumps hate, you know, I find those like that really interesting because they don't actually seem to be true at all. I mean, it does not appear in the world that we live in that love actually does trump hate. So, how do you, how do we reconcile these you know these two ideas? Well, see what makes it harder,
1: and it's another reason why I try to push at this, is um, a lot of white nationalist language, a lot of like recruiting is is like wound up in this fact of a lot of incels lately too, of love hating because you love. You love this group so much that you hate what's happening to it, you know? Like, you hate that for white nationalists, they hate that the white race has all these things being done to it, the impurity and whatever, you know. Whatever with incels that this masculine ideal or the mammosphere in general incels with the whole approach that they believe they deserve sex or whatever. This ideal is being attacked by the postmodern neo-Marxists, which is my favorite phrase ever. The idea for them, and whether that's just recruiting banter or if it's what they sincerely believe is a difficult thing. So once you start trying to say like, well, they're just using it for recruiting. That's just insincere. One, you're trying to play like you're a mind reader. Two, you don't know how many people that actually has rung true for and why that's why it mobilized them, you
0: know? But so. I mean, isn't it I mean, I totally get what you're saying, and I have conversations like this with students all the time. Yeah. But I mean, the thing that you're talking about right now, I mean that's totally the, the basis and the rationale for like anti colonial movements or decolonial yeah. movements or national liberation movements or you know that we love a group so much that we we hate what's happening to it, and therefore you know we are uh, forced by that by that feeling right to mm-hmm. move I mean it's kind of like you know when people say that love and hate are two sides of the of the same coin, if we hate something so much and we love this other group so much i mean does love really trump hate or does no. love trump hate because um it forces us to overcome the situation and that's why we're getting back to that slippage
1: like with hate being whatever the hell it is that leads to the oppression the operation of oppression right versus like hate being just this emotional feeling that leads to like this destructive feeling leads to violence or whatever love being this approach that is about capacity building um and it's about de um Dismantling oppression versus love as like this um, a sensation, of emotion towards growth and whatnot, and why the slippage is so important to tease apart. Because if what you're trying to say with love trumps hate is a specific approach, approach and orientation towards dismantling all oppressive hierarchy against historically marginalized people or people in general, just dismantling hierarchies so that all can flourish and grow, trumps the application of a system which will maintain a hierarchy and thus disable people from growing and becoming self-actualizing that's all well and good but because of the way it gets applied and gets policed and, we, and gets talked about um, it ends up slipping into like that weird kind of like you have to have this emotional reaction to somebody who is oppressing you or you have to ignore those angers and those feelings you have because we're gonna focus on the love feeling and the hate feeling as opposed to the other breakdown. Um, the other breakdown being what? Love as the dismantling of oppressive of oppressive hierarchies, of systems of oppression versus oppression
0: so, itself. So I just just wondering, because I think I love having this conversation with you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, so really in some ways, I mean we could almost name like when we say love what we're actually really talking about is the dismantling of these oppressive hierarchies
1: that's one way i mean that's why i'm trying to separate out like let's not talk about love the emotion anymore cuz i don't want to try to i'm not trying to tell you how to feel right like if we want to talk about love as instead focus on love as um the fostering and growth of people the movement towards um self-actualization to liberation that's way more interesting but that's also a thing that i think needs to be thought about in terms of like both it's how it's operationalized and also what makes us think about that you know like what makes us lead what leads us to that as a good approach to like living you know because i'm all i'm all for liberation
0: you know i'm just it's interesting to look at like how mechanisms and shit work at all i think the part the yeah. part about it that really that really strikes me is i mean when you were talking about these things as a dismantling of of oppression right And I think that that really gets to the question of organizing and why we're organizing. I think it gets to the question of the sorts of activities that we involve ourselves in and how we decide to dismantle that oppression. And I think the other thing that's really fascinating, and I don't know if it's really the, the topic of this conversation, but what does it really mean to dismantle oppression and how far is too far and how far is not far enough i mean history shows us that if you really want to dismantle oppression or you want to be successful at it at a certain point i mean you have to turn towards i mean you have to turn towards violence right i mean that's that's what history shows us and so then the question is is that when that happens i mean is that still love in the sense of we have to do this to dismantle oppression or we have crossed this line into hate I think it's fascinating
1: what so i want i want i want to step back I want to double back to go forward So okay. I wanna kind of like play with that but there's an example you made me think of um, recently she she 's an amazing youtuber she 's got a lot of press lately is um, Natalie Wynn she does this channel called ContraPoints, right and um, one of her older older videos is about I think the title of it is uh, why does the left hate free speech? It's all about free speech.
0: Okay. And a lot of the
1: controversies are on deep platforming on college campuses and whatnot. She, it's a two-parter. It's a really good piece. Um, anybody listening, like look it up. It's really great. Uh, but one of the things she brings up that has gotten me thinking, and it's hard to, it's been thinking about it real hard is her discussion on like all speech is silencing, the notion that all speech is silencing. The thing she was mentioning is using the specific example of, um, transphobes and outing on campus uh, versus um, universities uh, de-platforming folks like Milo Yiannopoulos and whatever who are doing who are spreading transphobia and whatnot and her comment was like okay all these folks on the right talk about how you know they're deplatformed, platformed they're being censored you're just getting rid of free speech right except when they're not when they're being platformed, when they have the space what they're doing by spreading transphobia is they're silencing all the trans kids they're silencing all the folks who are who would love to engage in public discussion, but now they have to be afraid of, oh God, there's all these people who agree with these transphobes, I'm in danger. Maybe I should bite my tongue, you know? And the question being like, okay, we keep going up to uh, defending a lot of these uh, right wing, like the, the fascists, the transphobes, everybody like that, are defending their free speech, forgetting that when they speak, whatever they do is also silencing someone else. So when you come down to the question of free speech, what um, Natalie Wynn puts up is basically, it's not about defending free speech, it's about who are you defending? Who are you interested in defending? Who are you willing to protect? You know, the big kerfluffle about like free speech on campus, everyone wanted to defend Nazis who were speaking, but leftists have been deplatformed and thrown out of campus and red baited for decades, and that's just a fact of living that's just the way things are. But everyone's suddenly concerned with free
0: speech when it comes to people who wanna do this fascist nonsense. So- Well, don't you think that that's partially because that fascist nonsense, that racist rhetoric or that hate rhetoric that they're talking about is actually a fundamental part of this country and the creation of this country. And so like when we're really, when we attack fascists and racists and hate mongers, what we're actually attacking is the American way of life.
1: I will say politely that it at least has closer parallels <laughs> to okay. the current hegemony. No, I mean, let me try to figure out a way to phrase it. Um, cause I want to actually, cause I do want to take it seriously. I want to play it a little more is um, if you look at a lot of like what's coming out of the, what came out of their mouths and what's going on at the time, it's definitely reinforcing what already exists, hegemony and whatnot. Like an interesting thing about a lot of white nationalists, a lot of the alt-right was that, you know, they're saying things that, like, they would talk about how, like, they're the counterculture; they're the ones under attack. When all they're doing really is just so reinforcing. The exactly, like they're 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 reinforcing what's already accepted. You know, what's already been accepted practice. Like, shitting on trans on trans folks has been part of part and parcel of you know the U.S. forever. They're just defending. They're not pushing. They're they're not de- they're not um breaking a boundary. They're defending a bear, a boundary. Right. You know? they're, not, they're not boundary stepping yeah they're just defending it from being stepped or being crossed that's why what we were saying todd like they're not doing anything that seems out of line for business as usual hegemony for american society you know it might it might be why people see it as more like censorship for them because like that's just kind of what's already been accepted you know right i think the reason i wouldn't say like because fascism is at the root is because there's some part of me that wants to like fascism as explicitly fascism the you know, it's still it's easier to swallow based on like how hierarchy and power works under a capitalist system you know but i don't know if like legit everyone is already cool with it does that make does that i'm trying to figure out a good phrasing for that. i'm wondering exactly what you yeah i'm, I'm trying to figure exactly out a better, like, what you
2: mean by that are are you trying to separate fascism from like conservatism uh, I mean, like, I see a lot of these people like, you know, Milo, Milo, Richard Spencer, like a lot of them are like trying to harken back to like more traditionalist value, not necessarily like fascism as like a counter-revolutionary project of modernity.
1: That- it's a little, thank you. No, that's actually, that's a way better way of like clearing up what was in my head. And the thing is, is, the rationale I have for that is, the rationale I have for that is I'm just trying to remain having something this hate stuff for a minute. I'm... Just wary of putting everything into a fascism bucket when there could be so much worse. Like studying hate, get can studying hate like it makes makes at least got me pretty pessimistic on some places, you know. And so I wonder sometimes like if we focus only and we just kind of stick again with the language of just fashion, just fashion, just fascism. What political system changes up? What mutations happen next time? You know? Okay. Um, what is the thing we have to really pay attention to? Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand I understand what you're saying now. Yeah. Fascism well, might be just a specific articulation of a thing that's much worse, and I want to yeah. be careful about that.
0: Yeah, well, I would think that actually settler colonialism is the thing that is much worse. I mean, it is also a system that has, you know, existed for centuries now, as opposed to this thing that we call fascism, which, you know, rises and falls yeah. at, at different points. I see what you're saying. I'm not trying to defend fascism. It's more no. defend conservatism. It's more just a matter of like
1: we need to be careful about specifically how we pay attention to the thing, what thing we're looking at specifically, because fascism might just be an articulation of something that
0: yeah.
1: is bigger and yeah. that just became this thing this time I and mean, well, next
0: time. I, I would say it's an articulation of, uh, in at least in the United States, of settler colonialism and yeah. the the roles that have been doled out to indigenous people and to black people and to asian people in terms of you know their own uh, positionality as you know subservient and yeah so no that that totally makes sense i, I think you're absolutely right in terms of that and that we don't want to get i mean it would be a mistake to get hung up on fascism because if we crush fascism in the united states it doesn't change the fundamental uh situation of inequality that exists here just because, uh, because oh, go, ahead, go ahead Alex. I, I just think it's also important. I hear a lot of people, uh, I mean,
2: saying like love trumps hate. Like you were talking about the slippage, of like what love and hate means. But uh, I think that it's important. A lot of times I hear fascism is like a blanket term that comes mm-hmm. about everything. And also like some of the works that I've been doing lately, I hear concentration camp is like a rhetoric of like uh, detention centers. Um, mm-hmm. when nothing really has changed of the detention centers or like, also like concentration camps weren't private prisons, like a lot of detention centers are in the United States. I think there's like some nuances that I wonder how much it's really helping to like throw those really moralistic terms out there sometimes, like yeah. fascism. And does it really help us understand like how, how to fight these things? And like discussing settler colonialism, uh, you know, that doesn't When you compare everything to World War II, it takes the context out of 500 years
1: of colonialism here in the Americas. There's benefit to it too, and there's major flaws. I want to make my role in this whole struggle, movement, whatever you want, I I want to problematize and just challenge and think about it a little bit. I mean, there is organizing potential in throwing these moralistic turns around. People react to it quickly and get moving. Say what you will about the far right, about fascists, about whoever really, what they've been great at is by doing that, is by capitalizing on this moralistic term. Well, that's just socialism. People just rush in when it's like, fucker, that's anarchism. They're actually way pissed at socialists. It's like, don't you know how that works? Like, <laughs> You know, like, yeah, well, I'll always, pit, you know, now I'm going to get hate from the left again. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: right. Like, what did you, ah, you, you talked about anarchism. You're wrong about everything now, oppressor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> white man's book oh yeah, exactly yeah. but um, with her anarchism but no um there's there's room for it and i can see how it could be used as an organizing tool to like drop back to that because it doesn't move people it doesn't motivate people but no there needs to be this room to like, yeah there's a reason why this is different let's talk about why this is different because the minute we forget why it's different the thing just pops up again and it can like uh Ursula Orr has a great book um on lynching and lynching as a rhetorical act she's a writer um or or she uh, talks about lynching as rhetorical and one of the points that Orr brings up in the book is um there's the anti-lynching activists the folks who are trying to stop lynching and there's the folks who are trying to stop the, the language of lynching and you'll see a lot like uh commenters will say well that's not lynching because you know like uh Oh, I think Trayvon was one of the examples I'm going to think of is uh, that's not lynching because there wasn't like a rope involved. It's a totally different thing. When, like, no, if you look at the process and what lynching was meant to do, it was meant to subjugate folks, black folks, keep on the public sphere, this kind of thing,
0: make Americanness white. It totally was, you know. Send a message, yeah, uh, publicly. Right. Well, so, we had, I mean, when we, were at grad, when we were at Michigan State at grad school, the Young Americans for Freedom, the Kyle yeah. Bristow Who's for those of you who are listening, look up Kyle Bristow. Don't that or don't. that or don't. Yeah. <laughs> Just well, up, he but, he kinda he kinda bailed on his uh you know his right wing comrades. Uh well yeah, because he wanted to see his kid, man. I mean yeah. yeah, he got himself he got himself in over his head. I think he realized that hate is not a game. Yeah. Ooh. And so anyways, but they did that whole catch a Mexican thing, right? Yeah. And where like they were gonna dress somebody up as a Mexican, and then they were going to chase him around and catch him and deport them. Mm-hmm. And those happened a lot uh, at that time. They were happening all over the country. But you never heard about the one at Michigan State. And you know why you never heard about the one at Michigan State? is because we stopped it before it ever started. And we did that by producing a flyer that called it for what it was. It was a, a game about lynching. And across the top of the flyer says, does this look like a game to you? And it had a picture of a lynching. And then what we did in the flyer, we said, in the text of the flyer, it just said, okay, you guys want to play this game? We're going to give you an opportunity to show how much you believe in all of this in front of everybody. Meet us at this place on campus at this time, and you can play your game in front of all of us. And um, they didn't show up. They didn't show up, and they uh, never played, they never did that at Michigan State nobody ever heard about it. But it's a good example of that type of organizing. Instead of having some big rally where everybody got up and talked about how they felt, and it was horrible and all this, we went directly to the source and said, okay, fine, you wanna do it? Do it and show up. And it was funny because one of the undergrad students was like, well, what do we do if if they show up? And I said, well, if they stupid enough to show up, I said, I guess we're gonna have to kick their ass. (laughs) But I was just like, I mean, I don't know, but they didn't show up. So I mean, lynching is yeah. a
1: good example there for a broad definitions or a broad definition works out helping us see what the bigger problem is and like how understanding the word in a bigger problem, because we're talking about making the fine tuning, like, what's the difference? What's the difference? And these are different acts. Absolutely. Um, and you don't want to shovel everything into, say, one word on one level. On another level, like, if you think about what that word really is, then, like, what is that word really? that's kind of why i also like i don't want to say shove everything into the word fascism like i mentioned I kind of i don't want to do that on the other level that's why i want to do that because i want to see what what the bigger word is like what's the bigger thing you know what's the bigger word that encompasses fascism too that's the tricky part and that's why i had such a hard time talking about hate here um if i were to try to draw it out like there's you have your oppression oppressive acts those are sort of like whatever this thing is in operation right people call that hate because they're talking to discrimination, oppression. I think those are just sort of like the activities that do the hate thing, right? There's also the emotion, which would be on like, the side of the other side of this weird little map thing, you know? But that, that gets connected with so many other emotions too. I think between the two, there's this thing that can turn that emotion into those actions. There's this weird little step, because I hate lots of things, but I don't go around burning stuff down because of it, you know? I just don't go see that movie ever again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it is. Like is. You're talking I mean, about the
2: Godzilla movie that came out like three years ago? <laughs> no, not that one. Not that one.
1: Oh, that's <laughs> the one I hate. That's fair, you see, no, it's fair. But, no, but they I burned a copy, yeah, that I found. And if, so. and if you want to say, well, that's not the same thing as how a white nationalist hates this person, you don't understand how much I hate that movie. <laughs> but there's a slippage, like, and there's this thing in the middle. There's this thing that I think, is where is the bigger nugget that leads us to between the emotion the operation there's a thing I'm trying to figure that out by doing these studies um because it's just kind of trying to work backwards like if we look at the hate speech or hate crime what's the backwards step does that make
0: sense it makes sense and you having said that let's let's talk a little bit about what's going on with these uh video game guys okay what's up with that I don't get it so they to play video games all day long and they're not happy about their lives or you know what's going on I'm gonna. i to be
1: clear. I'm not trying to pathologize nobody, just because I don't see the point
0: in it, really. Like,
1: okay. as far as whether they're not happy about their lives or uh, there's that whole um, article
0: about how men who are well, who they're are, they're not happy about their lives. I mean, they think nobody wants to have sex with them. I mean, I don't care if they are or aren't. That's not. The well, point. I mean, and, I'm just saying. I don't think that's you're not pathologizing yeah. them. They're pathologizing yeah. themselves. I'm just. I'm just saying. I don't care
1: if they're happy, if they're unhappy, if they want to show it, whatever. Um, my, you know. <laughs> They're happy, and maybe they don't know. Maybe they, I don't know. Um, okay. <laughs> they, I, don't really, I don't really. I don't really care. Eat your Doritos. Mountain Dew. I don't give a <laughs> fuck. Exactly. Like I don't, give, I don't. I really don't. Like, I really don't. Um. I just don't see. I don't. I really don't. <laughs> because I'm just trying to look. What I'm trying to look at is like um. We've seen hate groups specifically go out other way to make video games. There's just one um ethnic cleansing. It's not around them. It's not available. It's not easily available. Let's just say that.
0: Was it a good uh, video game?
1: It was terrible. It was actually kind of hilarious. You can find a Let's Play on YouTube where somebody's recording themselves playing it. Um, I forget which one specifically, but I remember losing it, watching that Let's Play on like the third or fourth time, or however many times that game crashed. Oh. And the commenters were like, you know, for a master race, they can't code for nothing. <laughs> 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 but like, it's a t- but like, that was mm. really specifically supposed to be a recruiting tool um getting your kids playing video games there's the game like bomb gaza um what is it angry goy came out um angry recently. goy yeah angry goy oh that's uh, the second fun. one um this, th- there, there are all these games that just keep popping up and um is it mostly jewish ones or is that just the ones you're using as examples that's one Anti- i'm using as anti-semitic Catholic. yeah there's, there's, there, that's the ones I'm, those are my examples right now. Those are the big ones. Those are the ones that get a lot of play. Up. And that's, guess, yeah, that's also you said, you said, uh, the Gaza game and the, the Goy but, game, though. So Bomb Gaza was a mobile. I want to check it. Let me double check on that one. But I remember Bomb Gaza was one that was out. It was an anti-Palestinian game. I remember reading about that one. I'll be, let me be fair there. Because what I'm mostly paying attention to is the communities that pop up. Like Angry Goy, there were a few Let's Plays there. So I got to see more of that that um, yeah. Angry Goy 2 is where um, the Angry left- Goy
0: okay, 2? Yeah, there was right? a
1: second one uh, the, where the leftists, so yeah, let me I bring up, let me go back, I bring up Bomb Gaza, but as far as like, details on that one I'm not too, I'll, I'll admit that I'm not too good on that one, but uh, Angry Goy 2 what was it, where the leftists had kidnapped Donald Trump, the leftists the capital L leftists had kidnapped Donald Trump and the player has to go save him uh, that was, that was interesting um, like each stage you had like queer folks who, you know, the main character to shoot and gun down to save Donald Trump. You'd see a uh, villain, the enemy, you know, the people to to be shot or wear, like, Black Lives Matter
0: shirts and whatnot. Um, it was very clear what that political bent was. So it's kind of like uh, that Michael Douglas movie Falling Down comes to video games. I didn't see Falling Down. But oh! Sure. I just showed how old I was, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: <I'm laughs> like, like, if it makes me feel any better, I remember the posters for it. I was just little watch it. <laughs> yeah, I was like why yeah, Ber- stand- yeah, Berthe, it does make me feel better. Thanks. Right. Why is this guy standing <laughs> on the car? Like I don't get it. Yeah. Hey, why doesn't somebody catch him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Angry Goy Angry Goy Two.
1: Yeah, Angry Goy Two was that one. But um the one I did end up seeing the one that like the game I ended up playing that um that one had a weird story was Muslim Massacre. That was um, a, a weird one. is um, that the name of the game? The game was the game was Muslim Massacre that one like the creators got called out. Um, let me see if I can look up the I'll pull up my notes right here. Yeah, the creators got called out on that one. Um, but yeah, you it was top down shooter. And the point was that this Rambo looking character, you play this Rambo looking character who had to shoot all of the quote unquote Muslims. Um, and it was a, it was a horrible. It was an interesting experience. Um, let me say that it was because uh, it's just so weird how like so divorced. It was, um, you know, there was like eight bit characters. And that's what fascinates me about looking into the games and whatnot is because there's this desire like, OK, I want to be good at the game. But being good at this game is to do some terrible things, you know.
0: OK, so the I, and, and the reason I asked if, if it was a good game and I'm, I'm glad that you understood what I was asking by Yeah. That, but what about when the games do get good? That's sort of the... How does that, how does that change things to when they, they get to like Call of Duty level? For what it's worth, the ones that have been that explicitly hate
1: group centered, mm-hmm.
0: there haven't been a lot
1: of those. There haven't been like a lot of the ones that are out now are like say really, are relatively easy to make. Um, relatively, it's gaming, game coding is not easy. It's, yeah. it's not easy at all.
0: Um, but it should be for the master like, race.
1: But the. <laughs> The engines, that exist, like the engines are like it's older graphics. They are engines that folks can just pick up and kind of like develop from um, if they people who already know how to code and how to game, how to make games. This wouldn't be like, we're, talking like, we're not talking like a triple A game or anything. Right. It's hard to say like when they get like that level. But that's part of the thing they plan to play on is like, okay, if you're a gamer, you want to do this thing, but what are you engaging in when you do that, you know.
0: But. You don't think that the, the visu- visuality of the game itself, like the, the slickness of the graphics or, you know, just like how well it goes together, the fact that it doesn't crash. I mean, do you think that that will have an impact on um, Oh, it totally would. I totally how people would. play I totally the game or how many people play the game?
1: It totally would. It totally does. Um, a lot of it's publicity too. How well. Are people that vacuous? I mean, like. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't want to like go. I'm saying it would. I mean, the reason I'm doubling back and saying the games aren't there, like I say, like AAA level or whatever, is because they're not there. So I can't sit back and say, well, a million, like three million people downloaded and played this game because it was this and that. Like, I mean, I can imagine it'd be easier for some folks to pick up or be more into. So you're
2: um, saying as activists, the new culture wars in video games that we should send all of
1: our children (laughs) to coding school to make anti-colonial video games? I think a thing to learn from the right is that they're really good at figuring out what works as a recruitment tool and what doesn't.
2: Hmm.
1: Like we're sitting around trying to like have the 37th viewing of the battle of Algiers this week and wondering why, you know, we aren't getting a lot of kids coming out. And while I love that movie and I will go to that movie, but it's slow. And if we're getting the same 12 people to the same events we're throwing over and over and over again, we're not doing so good at recruiting. Whereas when you look at something like what happened with the connection between the alt right and GamerGate in twenty fourteen, those cats knew where the young people were, where some disaffected young white men were, and they just capitalized on that real quick.
0: I think that I think that that's really interesting. I mean, when the um, when the Zapatistas came out in uh, ninety four, I mean, one of the things that they were immediately heralded as is masters of using this new thing called the internet to sort of like explode across the the world right as this new cause of indigenous liberation and i think that there were in the early days of the internet that had a huge impact on you know what we would call the left but i i agree with you i mean somewhere between then and now we slipped you know i
1: don't yeah and me let me before i go any further i want to like for a third time say I love the movie Battle of Algiers because I'm just waiting to get like thrown out of lefty circles for having said what I just said. <laughs> but um let it's me let me, me also yeah it's, it's a remake. It's, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean we need we need a new one, right? With like some CGI and shit. I mean, I for mean real.
1: sorry to bother you is a good movie though. It is. I mean, sorry mm-hmm. to Bother you is amazing. Yeah, and yeah, that's that that sort of the, the trip thing. is like there are these great movies that are doing that. And that's something I love seeing. That's why I wouldn't want to say like people being vacuous about it. I think when it's very clear that people aren't trying to reach out to you by touching into what you're interested in, why do you have any reason to listen to them? Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I see the obviousness in being like, let's play this anti-oppression game or let's do this thing that, um, you know, I see it. Somebody else might see it. Somebody else might say, I'm not trying to say like I'm better than anybody else in any way, but it's more like, because I've been kind of doing this for so long, you know, there's that. If somebody's just getting used to like, okay, well, you know, the racists out there are pretty terrible. What are the folks who are organizing against them doing? And all they see is yet another, like, here's a pamphlet that we printed in 1896. And it's referencing a joke that ain't even like relevant. That wasn't even relevant 10 years after it came out. Why the fuck do they think you're going to be serious at all? Yeah. You know, versus like, Hey, that's real. You know, it's, it's just a terrible thing, and that's, that's the thing that like the right is great at is capitalizing on things people are already interested in. Let me give you an example, whether they're good at it or not, whether it's effective or not, is up in the air sometimes. And one thing I want to, but the thing they're good at is they do it. Like, um, there's a website. Let me, I have to look it up again to find the link. But I remember seeing um, this, these reviews, uh, these movie reviews of just popular like movies. So it was um, from these uh, white nationalists talking about how like The Incredibles. And reading about the white nationalist messages of the Incredibles, and this cat would have nothing to do with the Incredibles, and like this, he's reading into all these things, you know. But he was at least trying to connect with a movie that was out right then and there. Richard Spencer does that on his YouTube channel. I That's mean, what makes
2: him. Yeah, he had a video that was just as long as the most recent Star Wars.
1: That mm-hmm. about the new most recent Star Wars about yeah. how it was like G- Jewish propaganda they do that though they like they capitalize on the moment they try to read people where they're at you know Tod- todd you look you you got a const- consternation Con- there
0: I, were you gonna say a constipated look <laughs> they're, both, they're, kind of about the same, they're both the same on your face I'll say that. i mean i don't uh i don't disagree with what you're saying i think to be very straightforward about it when we say that the right capitalizes on things that people are interested in I think it's really important to for myself anyways it's important to constantly reinforce that by saying that people are interested in these things because they are a part of the dominant ideology in this country right that's that's why they're interested in it. That's why people aren't interested in like a socialist oh. reading of this movie or we're talking oh, about this well, or me, that or whatever i mean me they me well and, and just they're they're yeah. interested in it because. It, it, it's it's inside their head it's inside all of our heads because this is the way that we're I mean this is the way that we're socialized this is the education that we receive so these guys aren't they're not insightful cultural critics they no, are they're, they're just people who are being real honest about like what this place is really about Oh, we we 100% agree there I want to the, the only reason I
1: wanted to jump in a double back was I meant more like in terms of what media they capitalize on or where the people are okay yeah. Like where, where's the, what venue are they recruiting? Like that's yeah. my, that was my, um, and we talked about this a little earlier. That's my big thing about like looking into video games specific, as opposed to people are publishing left and right about say the Proud Boys or the alt-right streets, you know, right. the, a lot of the protests. And that's very important. And I'm glad a lot of folks are doing it. My specific drive and going to video games and looking at folks in gamer communities is specifically because what do you think these white nationalists are doing in their off hours? You know, like they do like other things. They also are gamers. They also do this, they also do that. This exists here. There are, you know, Gamergate was essentially just a great moment in 2014. It was a great moment um, for white nationalists to just recruit a bunch of dudes who were being, ah, these feminists are terrible, whatever.
2: Do we we want to explain Gamergate real quick? Um, Oh
1: yeah, well the short short version, Okay, short version, 2014, a bunch of anti-feminist gamers basically started a whole harassment campaign a bunch of women in gaming. Um, the supposed- Specifically because a woman won the best game though, right? It was, she got a really, her game she wrote was Depression Quest, her name was Zoe Quinn. Um, she, her game was well-reviewed. Uh, a lot of these gamers really didn't like the game. I didn't play Depression Quest, so I can't say whether it was fun or not, but it, is, it was a whole interesting thing that it was, um, Her ex-boyfriend wrote this huge, huge blog post about how the only reason it was well reviewed was because she was sleeping around. He's he's an angry ex-boyfriend talking about slut shaming and all this other mess and was saying that she got these great video game journalist reviews because she was sleeping with these folks. Investigations, people follow up. There's no no proof of that whatsoever, but all these dudes basically um, turned that into an excuse to start harassing women online, harassing game developers, harassing these folks talking about how like the um, line was we're just interested in ethics and, ju- and video game journalism but then would send death threats and would you know dox folks, harass them offline, that kind of thing. It was interesting and if I can be really ugly with that word interesting it was it was a fucking terrible moment. Um, it's the only way I use the word. Yeah. Um And I, I, I feel kind of bad being so flippant about it because like I think back to it it's, it's fucking nonsense <laughs> but it's sort of you know Um, It was a bunch of um, guys using an angry ex-boyfriend bullshit, you know, comments about a woman game developer. And they were using that as an excuse to just go off and harass women off the internet. Um, When you get right down to it, it was a bunch of guys being like, and they were using the the whole excuse, you know, um, gaming's being destroyed by feminists. And that's a lot of what I study now isn't even about Gamergate itself. I'm looking at and what's happening now? What YouTube videos and what things are people writing right now since it's been years since then, since Gamergate. And it's a lot of the same commentary, like feminists want to put more people, you know, people of color and women in games, but there's that's destroying gaming, they're ruining gaming. That's that. I feel like I kind of went a little off track,
0: but I don't think you went off track. I, I think it's um I mean, when I hear people say things like that, I can't bring myself to feel any sort of surprise about it at all. I mean, of course they think that women and people of color are ruining gaming. We're ruining gaming the same way that we ruined this country and the same way we ruined politics when we got the right to vote. And I mean, the same way that that we ruin everything. I think this work that you're doing and studying hate rhetoric is, is phenomenal, so interesting. And I love having these conversations with you And I also know, too, that these uh, mostly white boys, I mean, they are, all they are doing is parroting what this, what the structures and the way that history is taught in this country tells them to think about people of color. I mean, we can talk about it like on an individual level, we can do all those other things, but the hate that we're talking about, I mean, it is taught every day in classrooms and maybe not explicitly but in terms of making young people of color and young white kids question the presence of the people of color that's hateful that's hateful shit
1: well one of my um i think one of my example so before i a little caveat before i talk mention this example i'm going to bring up is one of the fun things about doing the kind of work i'm doing right now is um Because the most hateful, most egregious, most terrible videos get flagged, get reported so often, one of my favorite parts of doing my research is I'm watching, I'll watch a video, I'll take my notes, I'll do the whole thing, I'll come back to it the next day so I can follow up on a quote I wrote down, and it's been taken down, Mm -hmm. because, funny story, you know, somebody flagged it. Right. Um, So I'm going to reference this one video, and I say that today, what is it, you know, September 26th, and then who knows, it's already down by now. This... A guy on YouTube, he was going off about criticisms of The Witcher. So this video game um, sets, uh, it's very kind of like a Eastern European folklore kind of aesthetic. He was talking about how some other game reviewers were talking about, okay, well, it's very Eastern European folklore aesthetic. Why? The, it's all it's so whitewashed. It's so white. This game is very white. You know, there's, there's monsters and this and that, magic and whatever, but you'll never see people of color there which is a common thing that people that like it's talked about a lot with any kind of like fandom or like sci-fi or fantasy community is like, okay, you have a talking tree and a talking dragon, but no black people. Like that's, you know, (laughs) it's a thing that comes up. Uh, So I am the, yeah, the YouTube, the guy I'm watching as he's referring to that and he's going, well, why are you so invested in this? You know, skin color isn't culture, right? Like your skin color isn't culture. Like, why do you need people of color in there? Because culture is bigger than that. It's not, you know. And then later on in the video, he starts going off about, and that's why I hate this, because, you know, what they're saying is you need people of color in um, like the Witcher because fuck your culture, fuck this. It's like, well, wait, Fran, I thought you said that the skin color wasn't the culture. But putting people with, you know, people people who aren't white in the game is ruining the culture. So which, if, it's, if the skin color isn't the culture, how does it ruin the culture? Changing the skin color was my feeling, you know, was my reaction. Yeah. And so you kind of get these moments where, like, I don't know, it's it's weird to like look at this
0: stuff. I I realize
1: I kind of trailed off a lot because there's a lot to say about this, but
0: yeah, no, it's a huge it's a huge topic, man. It's a huge topic. I have a question. Why are you so
2: interested? So when I hear video games, I think of uh, you know a place of maybe this is pathologizing, as you said, you didn't want to do, but a place of escape, a place of fantasy, a place Mm -hmm. of imagination. And unfortunately, um, because of like, technology and society, maybe not unfortunately, technology and society is a thing that happens, but video games is now where a lot of, uh, instead of imaginative games happen, we go play games. Why do you think that this is such a, a battlefield for white nationalists, but you don't really see a lot of leftists talking about this in video games? in this like imagined community, I guess, like this place of imagination?
1: So, okay, so actually there's a couple things I want to uh, jump in with, i uh, mention, but first of all, I want to point out about the leftists making games, right? There actually are. Okay. Um, there's actually a fairly decent, is it conser- as concerted as visible as some other, um, as the right-wing game? Not really, you know, but the gamers are there. Like, there's especially a lot of trans uh, game developers who are making games about uh, dysphoria, about, experience. Um um, um, there's a lot of folks who are addressing not that being trans isn't in itself a lefty thing. It's just more like you see a lot you know. Um but there are folks who do anti oppression work, who do anti you know, who are very opposed to like fascism who do make games. It's just are they as well promoted or vocal? You know, I haven't seen and also I haven't seen like communist hero or anything like that. So we're gonna talk about like lefty games, but maybe there's one. Uh, But you know it's it's there. It's just not quite same thing. Um, the other thing, too, though, is that I think because we get into the debate about ludology and what does it mean to play, what is play really? You know, like, is it always an escape or is it like a means of uh, engaging with a story? Like, how is interactive storytelling work? Uh, what is a game that gets into Those are really big, big conversations. Um, but if we do, if we're going to take the approach of like games as like this place of comfort, of play, of fun, if we're going to take that position, um, I think that's why it there's so much territorial, territoriality, territorialism. That's why people are being so territorial. Rhetorician, I know how to use words, I promise. Um, that's why people are being so territorial about it is because there's this thing that for a lot of folks does have a lot of emotional, um, connection to, you know, uh, I don't, like I guess I'm not trying to, patholo- I, I don't want to pathologize really, but it would make sense for me we to take the approach why people would be this feisty over it. You know, Did that answer your question? Uh, yeah, I mean,
2: I was just kind of throwing something out there to really ask you uh, about why video yeah. games, I guess. Like, it seems to me an imagined place, I appreciate you pushing back as a, a place of play. And you know, because it's a it, lot it's of a new version of science fiction, right? Like, you know, many many of the Ursula Le Guin writers or, you know, people mm-hmm. like that, it's another stage, but it seems like maybe there's a technological barrier that there wasn't for fiction, the science fiction writers that I really appreciate, because they know how to code. And write a story in order to make a video game,
1: when a story was you know something that we've been doing for thousands and thousands of years. since language. One of the approaches to video games, especially, is interactive storytelling. Like a lot, there's a lot of games that um, people refer to pejoratively sometimes, sometimes not, as walking simulators, hmm. where it's just a style of gameplay where you're legit just experiencing the world. And um, Gone Home is a good one, where your character you come home, um, and the whole your whole family is gone and you just kind of piece together a story by finding random snippets of like journals or whatever laying around um and it's just about getting into that narrative and being immersed in the narrative but also feeling that level of interaction like that you're also playing with the story too and so that's 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 a whole thing when we talk about gameplay like what does it mean to tell stories like how do we engage with story if that makes sense it's interesting to see like debates over what are games right now too especially to see how people weigh in because these a lot of the folks i talk about or i'm studying right now have very hard line definitions of what can be a game and it fits very specifically into a very um cishet machismo kind of like style of play and engagement interaction when games are so broad games have so much more to offer than those things like um about it's about even as far as like gender breakdown as far as who plays games you know well at least really Talking, talking talking cis uh talking cis play, um, like what was it, something like fifty percent, close to fifty percent like women men kind of break down, you know. I don't remember the numbers like were broke down like cis and trans and whatnot, but the one number I know gets thrown around a lot is like some forty something percent of gamers are women. Um that's just on off the top of my head, but um That doesn't surprise me. The thing is is like breaking down by what genres folks play, um you have these hardcore AAA Call of Duty, like first person shooters, the majority of players are men. And I know numbers wise, what is it like, The people people who play like just mobile games like Candy Crush or something like that, there's a lot of women who play. And so you'll see a lot of the folks I study or a lot of folks I'm looking at will blow those games off entirely. Like, okay, but they're not real games or they're not really interesting games. Or the game gaming community really focuses over here the reason these games need to be defended is because men play them. Why are you trying to change these games over here, these shooters or whatever? When we talk about gaming, we have to be very specific about like not just the shooters. Cause then we're just playing into the same thing. Like we're playing into the, well, those are really the games whereas these other games don't exist. Like no, 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 no. That mobile app you're playing on your phone is totally a game. Yeah. You know, even though there's no like, there's a different sense of play in there yeah. as my whole game studies
0: around. So we're kind of getting to the, um, so we're kind of getting to the the end of our time. I just was wondering, Berthe, if you have any last thoughts that you want to send out into the ether? I want to say that I've really enjoyed talking about
1: this with all y'all. And I've really enjoyed doing this in a weird way because weirdly the greatest thing I've ever come come out of with studying hate is even though it's been draining and terrifying and I'm I'm queer, I'm brown. They're talking about me in a lot of these cases. Right. What's been wildly... What's been amazing about this is that i've learned a lot about just being human from doing this like how people act how people react like i never would have felt being in like a lot of activist circles way before i never would have felt as empowered to push back and say like no you don't get to talk about my emotions this way or that way until i had like looked at how people really engage with the world around them like I was looking at the difference between like the emotion hate versus like the oppression hate hierarchies and whatnot, you know? Um, I never would have I've, I, I kind of like, I never would have felt as empowered until I looked at some of these cats doing this hate stuff and kind of getting bored by it in some cases, like this is who I'm supposed to be afraid of is this person who thinks they invented racism, <laughs> you know? But they ain't that smart, you know? Um, yeah. Or like just learning, okay, like seeing how like white nationalist recruit by in some cases like just accepting like you feel you know you feel um, disempowered you feel hurt you feel whatever come join us and they treat each other with that sense of comfort at times like seeing that really helped me like really re-examine like how do I feel how do I do things how do I interact with the world and to try to learn like okay well what do I what am I not supposed to do what should I not do or how do I become a better person kind of like develop there this has been draining and terrifying but also kind of wonderful to learn well no what does it mean to be a person when we see that this is just something that people do um, I don't know.
0: that was my weird ass rant uh, it wasn't that weird all right hey uh, birthday. i
2: appreciate that
0: yeah i did too thanks thanks for coming yeah yeah being on the show and uh yeah look forward to the next time oh, Yeah. take care all right okay that's all we have for today i want to thank berta for taking the time to talk with us about this very important subject interesting to think
2: about what love really means for myself how people think about it and not love is the opposite to hate there's a battle happening not just in video games but our stories in general pushing and pulling the structures of society and i for one can't wait to see what the stories
0: of tomorrow will tell us we want to thank all of you for listening Remember, as Bell Hooks wrote and we talked about today, love is a dismantling of oppression. Find your way to do that, whether it's art, poetry, or organizing. And in the meantime, stay focused, stay hydrated, and know where the exits are. This is the reality dysfunction.